Welcome to In Your Area. In today's episode, we welcome Sharon Blondin, owner of Condo Quest and a director of the Condo Owners Council of Alberta. Sharon has been involved in the condominium industry for many years and brings a great depth of knowledge to our discussion to help realtors and consumers understand the basics of condominium documents, as well as leading us into some of the important things to look for when considering a purchase of a condominium in Alberta. With recent amendments to the Condominium Properties Act, Sharon also highlights a couple of important takeaways for listeners. We hope you enjoy. All right. Well, we're talking here today in this episode with a pro in the condominium document space. Her name is Sharon Blondin, and she's with CondoQuest. And we are so excited to have you on this episode, Sharon. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. This is my my life's work and my deepest interest. I love the work and I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I know you've been involved in the condominium industry for many, many years, and even in many different capacities. Uh, I don't know if you want to just tell our listeners a little bit about that, uh, different capacities that you function for not only the condominium industry, but also condominium motors, I understand. Yes, we've been involved in with Service Alberta stakeholder conversations since 2014. We're incredibly interested in the legislation. I'm also secretary on the board of directors of a condo owners advocacy group. We're a nonprofit corporation. It is the Condo Owners Council of Alberta. We are sometimes requested by various entities, most recently a CTV reporter, to give them background on a story they were working on with regard to a condo, several condos in Calgary. And we remain available to answer questions of any type from anyone, anywhere, if it's in the condo world. Well, that's excellent. Thanks. Thanks, Sharon. We definitely have a wealth of knowledge here in this episode, and we're just going to jump right into it. We want to talk about condominium documents. And of course, condominium over and above everything can be a very complex subject. But when it comes to condominium documents, that really is sort of dialing into the, you know, let's call it the health report of, of a condominium corporation. Can you help me sort of just explain a little bit about what condominium documents are and what they're used for? Absolutely. The first function of a set of condominiums condominium documents is to keep the owners at the complex apprised of the business of the corporation, what's going on, uh, meeting minutes, the kinds of things the board is discussing. This helps the owners stay in tune with what's going on. Equally important way, condo documents are corporate disclosure to buyers. Condominiums, in, in my opinion, have to be seen as businesses. They can succeed and they can fail. And the, the documents allow the buyer the proper and provincially mandated disclosure that is required when you're buying into a condominium. It's a business like any other and it should be it should be looked at as a business and this is all in the disclosure documents. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, it's clear that documents are necessary for a buyer in a transaction. As you alluded to, that you know, a condominium corporation is a business with multiple shareholders, which happen to be unit own owners. And obviously, if a buyer is interested in looking at a condominium complex, they need those those documents. But you know, once they've been obtained, are there other stakeholders interested in getting those documents as well? It's our experience over the last couple of years, and it it could simply be because we. Are are here in the office, very uh, organized. 
If if I have a document that I've recently been working on or a set of documents, I can access them very quickly. But we're quite often asked by realtors and potential buyers and sometimes an owner, once they proceed past the buying stage and they actually own, they may write me and, uh, and ask me to forward financial statements or a certain set of meeting minutes to their mortgage lender, mortgage insurers, lawyers. We're getting a lot of more sort of outside of the area requests uh, to see some of these documents because there has developed a great need to oversee the the investment the business that you're investing in yeah that that's a great way to put that I you know how basically we understand that the documents are necessary for for a buyer if they're going into a transaction but how can a person know what documents should be available like if they're buying into a business you know if they were buying into a restaurant they'd want to know you know what's the debt load and what are the what's the income and you know how long does the air conditioning unit have on it before it needs to be fixed and all those kinds of things before they invested their money in a restaurant it's sort of the same thing when it comes to condominium but there's so many different kinds of documents that maybe a buyer might be interested in. How do we know which are which? How do we know, you know, what is available? And if if a buyer, let's say, is getting all the documents that are available, how can we be certain? There's several methods of determining whether you have most or all of the documents. And we direct a lot of people to the Service Alberta info sheet, buying and owning a condominium. They have many very simplified common language info sheets on many aspects of condo ownership. Then these documents are listed in the area purchase contract, uh, whether it's new from builder or a resale unit. It is in our provincial legislation. We have two pieces of legislation that form the Condominium Property Act. Uh, one of them is regulations. And between those, there, there is a section in one of those that describes the documents as well. And it's my experience that whether you're looking at the Service Alberta info sheet, the area purchase contract, or the legislation, they are fairly consistent across the board. Oh, that's excellent. So there is a essentially a list of documents that should be or could be available for a buyer to review to be certain that what they're buying is viable, you know, a viable condominium corporation. So in that situation, now let's say a buyer now knows what documents they should be looking for. Where do they get them from? Is there a common place or multiple places they sort of have to source them from and compile them? What's the what's the best practice there? Well, initially, the seller is required to provide the documents and that often follows sort of a chain that the seller will give them to their professional realtor who will turn them over to the buyer's professional realtor and the buyer. And at that point, generally we are asked, we, we can be asked to come into the process, but there are, there are other methods of obtaining the documents. In some cases, the condo has a a website. And in some cases, the seller will allow the buyer access, a, a sign-in and a password to go and, and search for the information that may be posted well to the owners of the corporation. And then there are document repositories, the biggest one being condo papers. I have, in some cases, gone, claimed myself to be a representative of, of the buyer and purchased those documents myself if they don't appear to be forthcoming subsequent to a formal request that somebody like I might make. I suppose it's very important for a purchaser to be certain that when they're going through that list of requests, 
required documents, let's say out of the purchase contract, that they're getting all or or most of the those documents on that list because they are legislatively prescribed. Do all condominium corporations have to have all of the documents or are there some that maybe just aren't available? There, it's important to remember first and foremost that there are no document police. There is nobody to enforce legislation or to make absolutely certain that if you're looking at a resale unit that they have everything. So condominiums, again, are, are corporations, whether they have two, two units or 200 units, and all of them should have the prescribed documents. Now, there are some little things such as the area purchase and contract lists a whole bunch of things that come on a single piece of paper called an information statement. Now, if you're not if you've never owned a condo before, you're not familiar with the language or the documents, you might think that all those things are individual documents, known structural deficiencies, unit factors, and how they're set. Many of these things come on one document. And depending on how savvy you are, you may or may not know that. It's our experience that not all condominium corporations have all of the documents. There are things like the annual financial statement. It does not need to be audited. It can be unaudited, but it should certainly be more than simply a balance sheet. In my opinion, you need somebody kind of savvy to look at what you've got and determine, I've been looking at these documents for so long, I can tell rather quickly if if something important is missing. It can be easy for some persons, I suppose, who are familiar with condo life, perhaps condo, even condo, some of the condo legislation, but it isn't, it isn't flat across the board, easy for everyone to know. And sometimes you need a little help with that. So obviously the package can be quite large and also complex. I've seen some of the condominium documents that come across and there's sort of no standard for plain language or readability. You know, they can, they can really just sort of run the gamut and what, you know, ultimately, what those condo, the full condominium documents package looks like. In general, as you know, as far as an average, if you can, you know, maybe there is no average, but as far as an average, you know, would you say that in general, the condominium documents package, once it's been assembled from all the various sources where they need to come from, would you suggest that that's, it's plain enough for the average person to flip through and read? Or is there a level of understanding that somebody might need a professional or, you know, obtain some professional help going through that? Well, again, I think there are there are buyers out there, owners who have a level of understanding of condo life and the various language, the verbiage, words, you know, special levy. In my opinion, it's important to get somebody steeped in these documents to look them over. Our company performs as something like a, a detective. We're going to look through those documents, look through the notes to financial statements, all the sort of fine print to look and see if there is something that a buyer should know about ahead of time. And reading through the meeting minutes, portions of the reserve fund study, which is a very large document in most cases, there are certain sections in those documents that you might skip over that will tell you if there previously were or there were other documents included while the reserve fund study was being compiled, such as technical investigations, engineering assessments, stuff like that. So although I I don't think you need a PhD to get through them, I, I still think there are persons steeped in these documents that can really give you a head up, an alert or prospective buyer or even a current owner. 
as to something that may be going on that isn't being discussed too very much or that doesn't rise right to the top. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I I think ultimately it's important for consumers to realize that such services do exist. You know, you know, all of our listeners may not be at the at the same experience level when it comes to condominiums, and and maybe we just throw it out there that there are services out there that will review condo condominium documents, help them through that process as specialized professionals. So, you know, as far as that that type of a thing goes, obviously, you know, you've been around the condominium industry, you've been around you know condominium documents for many many years, and and we definitely want to tap into that experience resource. So, here's a maybe more of a generalized question, but are there key items that buyers or, you know, people who are interested in condominiums are the key items that they should be looking for in those documents or things they they should be thinking about when purchasing into a specific corporation? Well, certainly people parking and pets are some of the biggest interests (laughs) in condos and they are certainly very important. Someone like myself will check to see if there are titled parking units and what the unit factors are associated with that to help a potential buyer understand how charges and financial responsibility is assessed. But there can be there can be other things that some are layered a little more deeply. Some are closer to the top, like, as I mentioned earlier, technical assessments, audits, engineering assessments, insurance is become really important. It's important to know that your corporation has current insurance and to know what those corporate insurance deductibles are so that you can plan your own policy that way. There are some some things that rise to the top and some a little deeper, but one of the biggest concerns that, that people want to know when they're going walking into a potential condo purchase is are there major construction projects on the horizon that may impact the reserve fund are there special assessments recommended in reserve fund studies or is there any discussion of that in meeting minute it's our experience that you may find some less than pleasant news but in Again, in our experience, owners want to know what they're walking into. And when they understand that, they will accept some risk. Nobody who owns a home is ever going to be surprised that there's a, there's a, an unanticipated expense. It just happens when you own a home and condos are no different. So bring up people, pets and parking. Those are three major restrictions that do often arise in in condominium ownership. And maybe those aren't always so visible on the surface when you look at the building or you look at, you know, buying in a certain area, it may be something that you didn't realize it. Maybe it's an age restricted building or it's a no pets building or, you know, the parking alternates every year, you get a different stall, that type of thing. So those types of things are, are definitely something to look for. Obviously, you know, you had already alluded to it in the reserve fund study and plan. That's a huge part of the condominium documents picture, a condominium documents package, because it relates so, so much to the ultimately to your pocketbook in the long term and the long term sustainability of the project. So maybe just explain to us a little bit so our listeners understand what exactly is a reserve fund and why does it exist? To go back to your last question for just a second, if you happen to be looking at at a condo building, get the most current set of bylaws. Make sure they are the most current set of bylaws. They can be determined as to whether they're the most current in a condominium additional plan sheet certificate from land titles. Also gives you the registration of that number. So when you want to look more closely at parking and pets, the bylaws generally 
Almost every condo corporation has thoughts on those, but the bylaws very often have headings with those very same things. So that's great advice. You want to know before you get there, look at the bylaws. The reserve fund study is incredibly important. It's uh, provincially mandated. It must be done every five years. There was a very important 2003 Court of Queen's Bench judgment that stated that the five years is an outside deadline. And the reason that's important is because you have qualified personnel come to your condo complex. They're going to do a visual inspection. Everything at the corporation, in many cases with a conventionally operated condo, things from the roofing, cladding, down to the cement, asphalt, parkades, if there are, are common property for which the corporation as a whole is responsible. So the reserve fund study is first It's an inventory of that common property and the results of a visual inspection. When you dig deeper into the reserve fund study, there's going to be a cash flow projection and roofing as an example. There There will be its present age, its expected lifespan, and how many years on a spreadsheet in different columns, how many years until it's anticipated that roof may need to be replaced. So it is more, a reserve fund study is more of a financial document that actually than a technical document. It is only visual inspection. They don't do any destructive testing or anything like that. But what it is intended for, its importance, is giving the board of directors a long-term view of the corporation's need, whether it's windows, siding, roofing, cement, and asphalt, that cash flow projection will allow the board of directors to plan year by year to put a little bit of money in the reserve fund. So when it comes time to replace that roof, the money should always be there. And it's important to note that boards of directors are not required to follow the benchmark recommendations from a reserve fund study. They can and often do make their own plans with regard to how the reserve fund is going to be funded, to what level. And of course, the reserve fund itself is gathering of all of the owners, a portion of their condo fees goes into that reserve fund to build that fund. So you're preparing slowly for major repairs and replacements. The cash flow projection gives the board of directors a long-term view. It gives them them very specific ideas. And of course, not everything comes out exactly as anticipated. You could end up needing to replace your roof a little sooner. You might get a couple of extra years out of it. So it's not written in stone, the reserve fund study, but the board of directors can make their own plan, fund the reserve fund and make the timing of repairs and replacements at their own discretion. But the bottom line is there will be no excuse that they didn't know what they should be preparing for. The reserve fund study is extremely important and certainly the reserve fund plan is you know part and parcel with that do the condo condo documents actually help you determine if the reserve fund is adequate or the amount that is being put away or the amount that is currently in reserve is sufficient or is there a rule of thumb or how how can a consumer or or one of our realtor members help in in that regard I'd like to go back to the Board of Directors Reserve Fund plan for just a moment, Brian, because it's not the same as the Reserve Fund study, and it is not compiled by the same entity, engineering company, or building scientists who might be compiling the Reserve Fund study. Upon completion of each Reserve Fund study, Board of Directors are required by legislation, and I'll tell you, some do, some don't. The legislation itself is a little is a little loosey-goosey when, when it comes to describing exactly what that plan should be, but the board of directors is it, it is required after a, every reserve.
reserve fund study to submit a reserve fund plan to the owners. And this is because they don't bound to follow benchmark recommendations from the reserve fund study. So if they want to go off in another direction or they see this repair happening a little sooner than that repair, as it states in the reserve fund study, they've had a chance to digest that and give the owners an idea over the next, I think five years is the, is a limit you would, because it's, it should be based on each reserve fund study as a limit to how big that plan should be, but it should give the owners and potential buyers an opportunity to know uh, this is what we intend to put in the reserve fund from condo fees every year. This is what we intend to tackle major as a major repair or replacement next year, and this is what we intend to do the next year. And in some cases, they w- they should even give you projected opening and closing of balances of the fund and. And again, the reserve fund plan is important because the board of directors is not bound to the benchmark recommendations from the study. So can the reserve fund study tell you whether or not the reserve fund is accurate or is adequate rather? It can, but many other factors have to be taken into account. As I said earlier, you might need to replace your roof a little sooner. You might get a couple of extra years out of it. Perhaps not all of the windows on a particular year need to be replaced with new ones. You might only approach that job in phases, maybe do, you know, one rise this year or and one rise next year. So the cash flow projections are never going and what you actually have in the bank are very seldom going to match. Exactly. For reasons like, you know, repairs and replacements coming up a little sooner or being able, you know, or perhaps maintenance has extended the life of the roof for a certain amount of time. But cash flow projections often incorporate a rate of interest that is not achievable in many cases. So that the biggest thing in cash flow projections to watch for is that interest rate and how much they, uh, how much the, the reserve fund planner has determined that the corporation is going to make on either GIC investments or in their bank accounts. So that's going to throw the number off. Generally, it's a ballpark figure. And in depending on how big the corporation is, anywhere between, you know, for a small corporation, ten dollars to $50,000 off the mark is not necessarily a sign of trouble. In a big corporation uh, where they're making more than a million dollars a year, 100000 sometimes 200000 off the benchmark recommendation isn't something necessarily to be concerned with. Because if you do have a complete set of documents, you can look back at a previous fiscal year and compare what they actually spent to what was recommend what the benchmark recommendation was in the reserve fund study. And if they have tackled that roofing a little bit early, then that amount of money comes off later projections and is no longer really applicable because they've done it. So there's there's some back and forth, there's some checking with the you know, the audited financial statements, looking at how much the corporation has in previous fiscal years contributed to the reserve fund and how that matches up with benchmark recommendations. But again, owner uh, boards of directors can make their own plans and that doesn't always mean the corporation is is failing. So you take the reserve fund study with a grain of salt, but it is very important. It is a complete inventory of the common property and a projection that allows owners and the board of directors and perhaps managers to understand what they should be 
preparing for the natural eventualities. Nobody's roof lasts forever. Yeah, our uh, realtor members, generally speaking, should not be giving condominium document advice. They're not condominium document experts. But as a rule of thumb, just looking at the reserve fund study, reserve fund plan, it sounds to me like there is really no good way to just pick out of the air, whether this reserve fund is better than that reserve fund. And that really does speak to the necessity of a consumer to seek out that additional expertise and that additional additional knowledge base of somebody who can really dig into it. And, you know, like you said, look at the previous financials or previous AGM minutes and find out really what the, what is the pulse on that and how that is, how that is rolling along. Just moving on, I, I know that uh, legislation around corporate insurance deductibles has changed recently in, in recent condo legislation changes. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about those changes and their implication for consumers and realtor members. Certainly across the board, person, professional real estate associates, current condo owners over the last couple of years, they have been hit with staggering commercial insurance increases to the tune of sometimes requiring condominium fee increases in the hundreds of dollars per per month. There have been special assessments to cover them. This was a horrible conglomeration of natural disasters here in Alberta. And I believe that it was also driven by the fact that it's been very difficult for boards of directors to get through to condo owners that portions of piping that they can see inside and and again, this is a we're talking in a conventionally operated condo where everything more or less inside the paint on the walls is the unit or the private property. It's it's a little different in a bare land condo. But for the sake of conversation, if you're looking at a con- conventional condominium, it's been very difficult for boards of directors to get the attention of the owners with regard to water escapes. It is by and far the highest number of insurance claimed opened by condos are for water escapes. Simple things like leaving a door window open in the wintertime can cause Uh, can cause a pipe to freeze and burst behind the wall. All of that plumbing that you see under your sink, if you have a mechanical room and there's washers and dryers or hot water heaters, anything, anything that you can see with your eyes must be maintained to a hyper level. Replacement of all water carrying lines should, they should be replaced with heavier metal braided or mesh lines. They're a tiny bit more expensive, but worth it in the long run. And because boards of directors for so many years were not able to get the attention of condo owners generally, how these things impact not only other units when there's an accident or a a water escape, but the finances of the whole corporation. You're talking about a group of shareholders here. When an insurance claim was opened and that cost was sucked up by all the owner and they weren't involved in in, in the water escape. So something drastic had to be done. And unfortunately, the insurance industry did that drastic thing. And now it used to be that you could only collect in a corporate insurance deduct if that provision was stated in bylaws. It is now provincially mandated that you simply can. Corporations can charge back corporate insurance deductibles if they determine that the escape 
whether it was negligent or not, what originated in in a certain unit. Insurance agencies providing personal insurance, condominium owners are entirely aware of this. It's generally included now, normally, as a part of the uh, condominium unit owners package, which is specific con- condominium ownership. But corporations and the insurance industry had to put a stop to the sort of not paying attention to the damage that can be done and the in costs on a the entire ownership for opening a corporate insurance claim. So now condominium owners, if they haven't done so already, and certainly buyers need to be aware of the corporate insurance deductibles, which now can be automatically charged back to a unit. And Unfortunately, our the legislation along with that does not necessarily doesn't require the condo or the board of directors or the manager, whoever's handling these things, to prove that, let's say it was my unit, that that, that damage came from my unit. Maybe they've got a good they've got a good idea. They've probably certainly called in a contractor, but they're not required to prove to me that that, that damage originated in my unit. And as the person who's paying, you know, or whose insurer is going to pay that corporate insurance deductible, I'm not in, I'm not entitled to any any activity with regard to choosing a contractor, with what work is being done, it is completely out of my hands. Now, personal insurers are quite familiar with this, and it used to be it used to be that there was a provision, it had to be in your bylaws, but that's simply not the case anymore. And is one of the things that we stressed to any owner or buyer who may contact us, even with regard to a question, but it was it was necessary. The number of water damage insurance claims is simply unbelievable. Wow, that's definitely something that I think most consumers definitely don't know. And not to get too deep into insurance, but while you were talking, you know, insurance exists for, for a reason. Obviously, if there's damage, especially extensive damage to the point where things need to be rebuilt. You know, it brings to mind some of the more recent conversations that I've heard about standard insurable unit descriptions or SIUDs. And that's something probably most consumers don't think about because they think insurance is just going to fix everything the way that it was. But maybe you want to just clarify that for, for some of our listeners. Certainly. SIUDs or standard insurable unit descriptions were required of all condominiums, small, large, in 2020. And what this document is, and it is, it's one of those documents that a condo corporation is required to register at land titles, which gives, which makes it official. If it's not registered, I, you know, I'd be, I'd I'd wonder why the corporation hadn't done that. In some cases, perhaps yet it isn't been approved. In many cases, condo corporations are asking their owners to approve these documents at AGMs. And of course, due to the pandemic, they're many corporations didn't have AGMs in 2020. So there could be legitimate reasons why certain uh, certain condos don't have this yet. But what that does is it describes the unit as it was originally construction constructed it if you if you're standing in if I'm if you're standing in your condo unit today and and you've got oak cabinets and you've got a granite countertop you're going to pull out that SIUD and see what they say about what was originally installed if it says on their pre-finished box laminate and you know you're looking at something that's oak or cherry you need to ensure that 
because in the event of a catastrophic event where the units need to be rebuilt, it's important for on uh, for unit owners to know, and I'm very glad that this was instituted as a requirement, it's very important for unit owners to know that when if when the corporation's insurance kicks in, God forbid, when it when that becomes necessary, you're you may not walk back into the same unit you walked out of. That document in your hand will tell you exactly what the flooring was. If it was built in the 80s, we were all crazy about carpet in the 80s and we're not so much anymore. So if you've got engineered hardwood or some something that you really like or some whether you put it in or a previous owner, you take that SIUD line by line, compare it with what's in your unit, and then present anything you wish to insure to your personal insurer. So that when you walk back into that unit, you aren't going to find something entirely different from what you walked out of. Yeah, and maybe just to just to dumb it down even a little bit further and sort of bring it down to the common level. If you know prior to destruction, you had granite and hardwood and gold gilded doorknobs, and after the fire, the insurance company rebuilds it for you with laminate countertops and lino and carpet and you know standard doorknobs, you may be upset to find out that that is actually all that you can do with that. The insurance company has limited their liability in that regard. You need to ensure that personally. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Sharon, for that. One thing that other, one other thing that popped into my mind was about small corporations. You hear often out in the marketplace where they say, oh, it's only a, a four or a six unit condo. They, they don't have to abide by the same regulations. Is that true or is that a myth? Oh, that is absolutely not true. So there is a trend in the, over the last several years to use little infill lots to make small condominiums, two, four, six units. And although I understand why, you know, you a city would want to take advantage of existing infrastructure rather than spreading out and having to install more infrastructure, sewers and, and roads and such, I understand, you know, using the space that we already have. But when it comes to the these small corporations, our current legislation may makes no difference, no differentiation whatsoever with regard to condominium corporation documents. It's a corporation, whether it's a big one or a small one. These are the corporate, these documents are the corporate record. If they don't exist, it's in some ways could be seen as sloppy. And in other ways, it is simply not the type of disclosure that is necessary for a group of people to make the best decisions over their assets in the common property. The only actual difference between units, complexes that have less than 12 units, is who is qualified to do the reserve fund study. You can, although they still, the legislation says that they still must have some qualifications, small units like this won't necessarily go to an engineering company or or a group of consulting engineers or a building scientist. So apart from who is qualified to do a reserve fund study, there are no differentiations between what a corporation should have. There's certainly no difference in the contract area. doesn't see those as being any different than 200 unit complex and nor should there be. 
In my experience and from the general questions and letters I receive here and at the council, when it comes time to sell these units, buyers are finding it very difficult if if their potential buyer has somebody like, you know, like me or like a savvy condo buyer asking for documents, budgets and stuff like that. And in many cases, they simply don't have them. I've seen MLS sheets that say no condo fees and they don't have a reserve fund and they don't have any plans for who's going to replace the roof. There might only be a a small amount of common property at that, but a plan has to be in place for maintenance of sidewalks, parking areas, people, places that people use more than just one unit use that space. So troubles, there are, I've seen troubles in these and the trouble isn't for the most part discovered until a seller tries to sell and then a buyer's realtor says okay where are the documents and right. they simply don't have them right yeah and of course a, a new condominium when it you know talking about those those small infills say four units on a on a lot in an older neighborhood when they're brand new it seems like you're never going to need any of those things but after a few years the you know concrete's cracking and you know the things are starting to curl on the roof and and there was no plan in place that really I, that's going to become a special assessment or a cash call that's kind of the only way to go at that point and it's all over but the crying <laughs> yeah yeah so I mean, this is this has been extremely helpful, and obviously, this topic is is deep and complex, and we may have to have you back in the future, Sharon. It's been very helpful, but you know, as we just close off, do you have any final thoughts that you think maybe we we should get across to the listeners of this podcast? In my experience, which is extensive, I've seen devastating failures in condominium corporations, historical inattention to reserve fund studies and benchmark recommendations for savings for repairs and replacements, deferred maintenance, because meeting minutes might say, well, we don't have enough money to do that this year. These things can lead to devastating circumstances for owners, massive special assessments in the tens of thousands of dollars and in more than one fiscal year. Condos are businesses. You you need to to take a detective's eye view and make sure that you know what you're walking into. If someone like me says there's a major construction on, uh, on the horizon or the reserve fund study says there should be special assessments, I can give you a worst case scenario. And again, it doesn't always, that doesn't always stop the sale. Buyers just want to know what they're walking into and they can make their own determination because like I said earlier, every home will, every homeowner will face an unanticipated expense. It doesn't matter what kind of a home or style of construction. So it's important to be careful when you walk into a condominium because it's more than the beautiful facade. It's more than the underground parkade or what you're looking at out of your window. Condo ownership today requires a measure of proactiveness. You have to be interested. You have to go to your meetings. You have to, especially the annual general meeting, might be the only opportunity an individual unit owner has to ask a question of their board directly. It might be the only opportunity. So stay involved. And if you're representing a buyer, please understand that somebody like me isn't necessarily being pushy. We believe that when our work is done well, we've placed an umbrella of protection over you representing your buyer, and we've placed an umbrella of protection over the potential owner. There will be very little that they don't know about. And if you're, whether you're a realtor or a buyer, if you have a question, now is the time to ask. There are no foolish questions. 
That's wonderful. That's a great way to end this this episode, Sharon. You've been very forthcoming with the information and obviously have a lot of experience in this area and we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. We would like to extend a big thank you to Sharon for helping us get a better handle on the usefulness of condominium documents and the high value buyers, sellers, and realtors should place on them. For additional real estate practice information, check out our blog called Practically Speaking, which can be found on our website at albertarealtor.ca. We look forward to seeing you next time. We are in your area.